Hello and welcome to Written in Uncertainty, an Elder Scrolls podcast sat firmly in the grey maybe of Tamriel and proud member of the Robots Radio Podcast Network. My name is Aramithius and today we're talking about a culture that came from beyond Tamriel that lived and died by the sword and was ultimately split asunder as much as by politics as by war. Today we're asking, what happened to Yokuda? Before we get to that though, I just want to give a quick update on some things to do with the Robots Radio Network. We've got a new show on the network, it's called Geekin' for the Weekend and covers news related to pretty much any form of geek media. It goes after film, games and pretty much everything else that gets into that whole kind of geek paraphernalia type stuff, that kind of hinterland of geekdom. So if you want to catch up on all of those bits and pieces, check that out. I also want to give a quick recommendation based on some stuff that I've been chewing over lately. I've recently picked up a podcast on Exalted, which is a pen and paper role-playing game that I run, but there's an actual play that is going on on the Story Told podcast that I think is absolutely fantastic and some awesome developer interviews as part of that as well. So if you are into the world of Exalted and anything to do with White Wolf or Onyx Path in general, check out The Story Told. They're absolutely fantastic and links for the both of these shows will be in the description for this podcast. And before we get started as well, I also wanted to say thank you to Gretchen, who has become my latest patron. Thank you ever so much for your support, Gretchen. It's great to have you on board and hope you're enjoying having access to all the notes that I'm making as part of this. And now, should we get to your CUDA? Before we begin, I just want to say that this is my own understanding of what happened to Yokuda and not necessarily the whole picture. I may have missed sources out, I may be misinterpreting them, that sort of thing. So just say, check things out for yourself as well as listening to me and the stuff that I put out. Make sure that you've got your own opinions on what's going on. If you want to check out all the sources that I have for this podcast and see where I'm getting that from, then they will all be in a blog post at writteninuncertainty.com forward slash podcast forward slash Yokuda. And if you want to ask me any questions about how I put everything together, then drop me an email at writteninuncertaintypodcast at gmail.com or catch me on the Written and Uncertainty Discord server. There's links to all of that in the description for this episode. I just wanted to kick off as well by saying that this was originally going to be a Red Guard episode, but it's spiralled a bit and I think I need to again spend multiple episodes going over some things in order to do the topics some justice really and so we're rather kicking off backwards a little in terms of the structure for this we are going from the point of Yakuda's destruction and backwards a little just so we can understand what brought them all to the point of Yakuda's destruction and everything that went before that because there's a whole bunch of history on Yakuda itself and so we need to kind of reflect on what that means for the Red Guards in preparation for the stuff that I'm going to be doing next time on the Red Guards as such. Because the earliest arrival for the Regarda Warrior Waves in Tamriel was the year 808 of the First Era, if you believe the pocket guide to the Empire. 
which roughly checks out with what we hear from other sources, although there's no dates given elsewhere that I can find. For some reason, the year 792 is also sticking in my head. Uh, that's possibly when they arrived on Hearn rather than when they arrived on mainland Tamriel, but I'll have to do a bit more digging to reconcile that one. But that is about ooh, the year 3000 and something in the Yokudan reckoning. So there's a whole bunch of history that's gone on before that, which means that Yokuda is roughly equivalent to Tamriel's timeline as well, because you've got the 2,500 years or so of the Merithic era before the first era kicks off, as well as the timeless time of the Dawn era. So that lines up, and that's possibly important later when we start thinking about what Yokuda was, which we will get to. Uh, there were also allegedly several different waves of the Yokudans coming over. If you look at the documentation around the Yokudan crafting motif in ESO, but that may mean some confusing things for how Yokuda sunk and was destroyed, or, well, it may not. We'll get to that over the course of the episode. And despite a lot of aesthetic references to North African Moorish culture, the history of the Yakudans mirrors that of feudal Japan more than it does anything else. This is probably the only occasion where you'll catch me saying that the Elder Scrolls maps directly onto real-world cultures, and so it's probably easier if I quote directly from the book Redguard's History and Heroes and then point things out afterwards. So we've got this rough outline of Yakudan history. Quote, the traditional rule of emperors had been overthrown in 2012, and although each successive emperor remained the figurehead of the empire, his powers were very much reduced. Since that time, our people saw 300 years of almost continuous civil war between the provincial lords, warrior monks and brigands, all fighting each other for land and power. Our people once were artisans, poets and scholars, but the ever-evolving strife made the way of the sword inevitable. The song of the blade through the air through flesh and bone, its ring against armour, an answer to our prayers. In the time of Lord Frandar, the first warrior prince, lords called Yokeda built huge stone castles to protect themselves and their lands, and castle towns outside the walls began to grow up. In 2245, however, Mansell Sesnit came to the fore. He became the Elden Yokeda, or military dictator, and for eight years succeeded in gaining control of almost the whole empire. When Cessnit was assassinated in 2253, a commoner took over the government. Randick Torn continued the work of unifying the empire which Cessnit had begun, ruthlessly putting down any traces of insurrection. He revived the old gulf between the warriors, the sword singers, and the commoners by introducing restrictions on the wearing of swords. Torn's sword hunt, as it was known, meant that only the singers were allowed to wear swords which distinguished them from the rest of the population. Now, this is pretty much Japanese history from the period of the Sengoku Jidai, which started in 1467 and then ended anywhere between 1568 and 1615, depending on which event you think ends it. The power of the Japanese emperor had been waning since the Heian period of the 8th to 12th centuries, and then it saw the emergence of the daimyo class that then fought amongst themselves for the title of shogun, which is essentially the analogue to the Yokeda position that gets mentioned here. And Mansell Cessnit coming to the fore 
but with his work of conquest incomplete at his death, sounds very similar to Oda Nobunaga, who managed to reassert something approaching national identity in 1546, and then his commoner successor, who initiates a sword hunt, was clearly inspired by Hideyoshi. If you want to find out anything more about that, just check out anything about the Sengoku Dadai. Um, I had my start on learning about that in the first Shogun Total War game, so there's plenty of sources out there about this, even within the video games media. Uh, when they left, the Red Guards were, by some accounts, fleeing a disaster of their own making. Uh, the book Mysterious Akavir flat out states that, quote, the Red Guards destroyed Yokuda so that they could make their journey to Tamriel. Other accounts, like the ubiquitous Sinking Isle, which talks about other land masses apart from Yokuda as well, puts it down to a mistake. Uh, the 3rd edition Pocket Guide puts it down to either a natural disaster or the vengeance of the Hirodurge, who were a faction of Yokudans who were active at that point and were defeated by the Swordsingers before the Swordsingers set out to Tamriel. Typically, though, you'll see one thing given in the community that sank Yokuda, the Pankrata Sword, which is a forbidden sword technique. Uh, this is rather obliquely referenced in some of the texts here. The mistake that the Ubiquitous Sinking Isle talks about is called a sword stroke, and the Warrior Celestial in the ESO quest line in, I think it's Craglorn, um, says that, quote, the Shihai of a first-rank Ansei sank Yokuda. The term Pankrato Sword itself appears in the unlicensed text Vivek's Sword Meeting with Cyrus the Restless and has been taken from there by fans as the kind of default way of thinking about what made Yokuda sink. You'll see metaphors around nuclear weapons for the Pankrato Sword too, with stuff from the Sword Meeting talking about cutting the Atomos, which sounds an awful lot like splitting the atom and nuclear fission and that sort of thing. It's not quite that clear-cut, though. Uh, the Atomos, according to Michael Kirkbride, who wrote the Sword Meeting, um, is apparently taking the original meaning from the word atom, which is indivisible. And there's a reference to the Pankrata Sword, quote, cutting the uncuttable. That makes me think that it's more about weaponizing some sort of paradox or something about reality or reality not being there, something like that, um, rather than it being a direct metaphor for a nuclear weapon. And that at least feels a bit more fitting to the Elder Scrolls to me. It's also possible that the Orichalk Tower of Yakuda had something to do with the sinking of the island, although exactly what isn't clear. It may simply have been a reference to Atlantis, going by a comment from Michael Kirkbride on the matter in the made-up word roundup thread that was on the old Bethesda forums. Quote, Orichalk Tower was indeed in Yokuda. Whether or not it contributed to the sinking of the land isn't for me to say, but the Yoku and the left-handed elves certainly did fight a lot, so you can be sure the tower had a part to play in their war games. Orichalk, the name, comes from Plato's description of Atlantis, the most famous distance sinking continents. It was therefore too fun not to add some Orichalk into Yokuda's background. So we don't know how much the tower itself had to do with the continent's sinking, 
but it is supposedly gone thanks to Yokuda being sunk. So the Yokudans did have a tower of some sort, which would be possibly the first man-made tower because of the Yokudans' own relation to Orichalcum. It's not something that the left-handed elves would have necessarily had, given what we know about how the Yokudans relate to Orichalcum, which we'll get to. But I wanted to point out first that you'll notice that there's some ambiguity about precisely who sank the island of well. I've talked about the Hero Dirge, and you've heard earlier that it's talking about the Anse, which is something to do with the Sword Singers. Um, and that's because there's quite a bit of confusion around what exactly happened after Torn unified Yokuda. Uh, the act of unification was followed by something that split the society again. Uh, the sword hunt that forbade everyone but the sword singers from carrying swords emphasised the difference between the sword singers and the rest of the Yokudan population. That starts to feel a little bit like the distinction between the forebears and the crowns that we see in modern Red Guards, and it runs a little bit deeper than it would seem, although the current state of split within the Elder Scrolls setting, if you go right up to the fourth era, definitely has its source in the machinations of the Cyrodiilic Empire, which we'll get to in a bit more detail next time. Uh, the sword hunts and everything that happens after them basically sets the ruling classes against the sword singers because there's that difference between the sword singers and everyone else. There is, however, only one source that mentions it, though. It's Red Guard's History and Heroes, so I would take it with a bit of a pinch of salt. That source is a compilation and distillation of legends, and so the impact of particular factors and particular people is likely to be exaggerated at the very least. Although that doesn't really help us with who sank the island, because that text doesn't mention the sinking at all, it does give us some context. It claims that it was the sword singers that left Yokuda after a war with the Hiradurge, who were followers of the last Yokudan emperor. And despite winning, the sword singers headed for Tamriel. Uh, we've already mentioned a few sources that claim it was the Anse uh, who sank Yokuda, and some others say it was the Hiradurge who then sank the continent out of spite because they lost the war. Uh, my opinion is that it was probably the latter, or maybe the inheritors of whatever the Hiradurge were or had left. And what I mean by that is that there were several migrations from Yokuda, uh, which began with the sword singers who became the forebears, who were then followed by the Yokudan royalty that became the crowns. Uh, there needs to be some time for those distinct waves to actually form, so it wasn't one cataclysmic event that had all of the Yokudans flowing out at once, because the sword singers need to leave before the continent was sunk in order for those waves to be distinct, unless it was something that was set in motion by the sword singers as they left and then just kind of ticked away over time. And I also think that we're not getting the whole story either. Redguard stories, and by extension Yokudan stories, focus quite a bit on individual heroes and their deeds, which probably exaggerates them beyond what actually happened. The fight between the sword singers and the hero dirge is pitched almost as a battle between Frenar Hunding and Hira as much as anything else. However, if you look at the book 
Nato Tembo of Yokuda, and if you think that book is correct, the ruling class of Yokuda at the time was a council of kings rather than individual rulers or emperors or anything like that. That casts quite a bit of doubt on the general setup that we've already discussed, unless Hunding's War was simply a squabble between kings. But it seems a bit more fundamental than that, and Hunding's origins are a bit more humble than that, if I remember correctly. I'm not totally sure that we have a solid answer for that particular conundrum, which is a bit of a pain. And it's even more confusing when you look at a book describing Yakuda itself, which is The Lost Islands of Yakuda. That book describes Yakuda as an island chain rather than a continent, and it's accounting what Yakuda was, we think. And so that means that quite how much Yakuda actually changed from the Cataclysm is up for debate, because the Yakuda that we see on maps at the moment is already an island chain and the collapse might actually still be going on to some degree when you look at those maps you have got a definite yokuda that's there and there's dialogue in the elder scrolls for oblivion that suggests that there's still trade between anvil and yokuda on some level so there's quite a bit of confusion about yokuda's status which has led to some quite interesting speculation in the community about precisely what or where Yokuda is. Uh, possibly the closest to an explanation that we have for these mismatches and incongruities is in Vivek's sword meeting with Cyrus the Restless to quote. The captains set their course south-southwest, slanting across the spring trades into the Sea of Pearls to the puzzlement of the crew. Some of the older among them muttered darkly of the guardians of the western approaches, but nothing was sighted during the long weeks of smooth sailing. At twilight on the twelfth day out of Jabur, Coyle, long learned of navigation, took sighting of the non-constellation of Sep and abruptly Cyrus changed course to the north. The old hands explained to the new that they had crossed the line that day and it was now safe to bear up for old Yokuda. That suggests that the route to Yokuda is guarded or only accessible through a particular route. And the use of the serpent constellation here, which moves in the sky, is quite interesting. Although I honestly don't know what it means in this particular context. Maybe as the stars are the path to the far shores for the Red Guards, there's some measure of extra planar travel between Tamriel and Yokuda. And this possibly lends some credence to the idea that Yokuda was actually a previous Kalpa, which I've talked about before in an episode on Kalpas. So go back and listen to that if you want some more details about how those precise theories work. If that's true, then you would need to find some way of going back in time in order to get back to Yokuda itself, which you can possibly do by way of charting a particular course. That's the logical conclusion of that passage from Cyrus the Restless's sword meeting. And when the Yokudans left, they also brought with them their gods, which are both similar and different to other pantheons. I thought we should touch on these before we discuss Redguard culture as such. And exactly what the gods relate to is different as well, and how they all fit together. Tuwaka was, before he was the path back to the far shores known as the god of no one really cares just as an example and 
the gods have also been involved in portions of Yokudan history, particularly with regard to the conflict between the Yokudan men and the left-handed elves in a way that we don't really see with the other deities in the series. Because Leki was allegedly involved directly in teaching the Yokudans new ways of wielding a blade, and Diagna taught them how to make Orichalcum weapons, which then helped them defeat the left-handed elves. Which is why I think that the left-handed elves didn't have that much to do with the Orichalc Tower. If they were defeated by the fact that the Yokudans had Orichalcum weapons, I don't think that they would have had the ability to use that technology themselves. And the left-handed elves themselves are a little obscure. There's not a whole lot of information about them uh, because the Yokudans considered even mentioning their names to be unlucky and have struck an awful lot of stuff about them from their history. Uh, they were obliterated by the Yokudans and the regard as destruction of the remaining elves of Hammerfell is attributed to their hatred of the left-handed elves. There are quite a few theories about what the left-handed elves actually were, none of them with that much evidence. There is some notion that they are possibly linked to the Marama, which has been discussed in a Lawmaster's archive, but that doesn't actually present an answer. The question just gets raised. Um, the New Antiquity System in ESO has mentioned in passing that they made statues of alabaster, but that's about it. There's also a pet theory of mine that the left-handed elves weren't actually elves at all, that they were actually a culture of men who were wiped out by the Yokudans on Yokuda because and just decided to call them elves because they wanted to forget all about them, slander their names, do everything else to pretty much forget them and present them as something that is just beyond the pale and despicable. And with that, I think we probably need to draw the this episode on Yokudans to an end. I am sorry that I've not necessarily touched on everything. I know there's more to go into in terms of the goblins of Yokuda and that sort of thing. And then we've also got the landing on Tamriel and the Red Guards as they currently stand to go over. So I will be going into that a bit more next time. Uh, there will actually be a slight gap even more than there has been with this episode for next episode. Um, I will be releasing this next episode in three weeks rather than two because I've become a bit more involved with um, activities in my church on alternate Thursdays and I just need to reset the clock a bit so I can actually have the Thursday of a recording week to do all the research and everything else necessary rather than having a bizarre gap um, that means that things don't really match up for when I want to release these episodes. And I do hope that you've enjoyed this rather rambling recap of Yokud and history with me. Uh, we will be looking at the Red Guard's arrival on Tamriel next time and everything that makes their culture so interesting. But until then, this podcast remains a letter written in uncertainty. You've been listening to Written in Uncertainty, a podcast written and presented by Aramithius. The music for this podcast has been kindly provided by Jan Glembotsky. Check them out on SoundCloud under Songs from the Lost Land, and I'll see you next time.
Hey, I'm Tom. And I'm Stuart. And we're from the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. We talk about all things connected to D&D lore. And we're on the Robots Radio Network. So if you're into Dungeons & Dragons or you're into lore, then come check us out. You can find us on any podcatcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get podcasts. Roll more dice. That's the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. Are you worried you don't have all the answers? Have you ever found yourself in an internet rabbit hole? Call Call Mystery Mystery Time Time Live today! today. It's a new detective business. With plenty of heart. And a questionable track record. We're only in the office for an hour. Every Wednesday. Come hang out. Solve a mystery. It's a podcast. It's a live show. It's a swell time. Subscribe Subscribe now. now! The producers of Mystery Time Live ask for not to take any advice or guidance of the host because they have no idea what they're doing. No mystery will actually be fully solved unless individualized or any outside source or sheer luck. You can find them live on Twitch app and find their podcast later on YouTube, Anchor, Spotify, Google, and iTunes. Listening may cause hurtful your death or loss of sanity. We are sorry. This is probably legally binding and you cannot do Are you an avid player of the Elder Scrolls Online and looking to take your game to that next level? Well, the Red Diamond Courier Podcast is here to help. I'm Bob Chichinsky. And I'm Dogbark24. We are two experienced players aiming to help others learn and improve through in-game knowledge and references. From PvE. To PvP. And everything in between. There's sure to be something for you in the Red Diamond Courier. We We hope hope you check check us out. out. Thanks. Thanks!